Aloha North Kohala and beyond. This is Holly Allgood and you're listening to Tutu's Talk Story here on KNKR LP 96.1 FM Kohala. I'm very excited for my special guest today, Teresa Young. Uh, she currently is working at the Kohala Center. Those people do lots of good work and she's a cooperative specialist. So welcome, Teresa. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, hi. Hello again. Um, I guess my mic was off. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Um, well, we want to hear all about you. And as is our tradition, we always start with, if you'd be gracious enough to tell us where you're from. Where am I from? Well, uh, Where were you born and raised? I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, because my dad was in the Air Force. So I was born at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. Um, I think we only lived there for maybe three weeks before we moved somewhere else. So wasn't there very long, but that's where I came into the world. So I'm um, middle of seven, kids, and uh, my dad always would joke about us all costing five dollars because we're in the air force so it's really cheap for him to have all these kids <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and where were you raised um so we moved around mostly in the south when i was a kid um but then when i was 12 i moved in with my grandmother in Cleelum, washington so it's a small town in Cleelum, and my that's where my dad was born and my mom was born in ellensburg so uh, the family was really kind of from Washington State. So uh, me and my brother lived with my grandmother for a year, and then my dad retired from the Air Force, and the whole family moved up to Washington. So uh, I lived in Washington. I finished through 11th grade, I guess, in Clay Elm, and then I moved to Olympia, Washington, which was the capital, because uh, my dad's, my uh, grandfather was involved in politics, and so... My grandmother introduced him around the legislature, and he ended up getting a job there. And then he ended up being the sergeant at arms for like 20 years at the legislature. So I kind of grew up running around the the legislative halls of in Washington in Olympia. Um, so I got a little bit of that kind of just background just from growing up there. Uh huh. <clears throat> what kind of area was it where you grew up? In Olympia. Uh, Olympia is really still a pretty relatively small town. I think it's under 50,000. Maybe it might be 50,000. But it's part of a tri-city, so you have Tumwater and Lacey. Um, and uh, I pretty much lived there until I moved to Hawaii. And so was is that the wa capital of Washington? Yeah, it's the capital. Yeah. Olympia so is. lots of politics going on there. Yeah, lots of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I grew up, like I said, in a political family. Um, I'm not necessarily political now, um, mostly because I grew up in a political family. <laughs> Although you have to engage in politics sometimes because when you want to change the world, um, that's part of what you have to do is mm -hmm. uh, work in policy. So, What did you do after you graduated high school? So interesting enough, I when I graduated high school, when I was 19, I got a job in a, a, a can plant a continental can company so they made aluminum cans so I started working in manufacturing so I did that for four years then I just took a couple years off to play because I was young and so I just traveled a bit and played uh, and then moved back to Olympia and um, actually got another job working at the Olympia Brewery 
So I ended up working at the Olympia Brewery for 27 years. So I've got Teamster retirement for that. Uh, but in 2003, uh, the brewery closed. Um, we were shut down. So I needed to figure out what else I was going to do with my life. What did you do at the brewery? Gosh, you know, I started just working in the bottle house, um, and I got hired. I got the I was the last person hired in a slew of like I don't know fifty people, and they hadn't hired in a long time before that. So um, I was kind of on the bottom of that new totem pole. So I ended up going on graveyard cleanup, which is you you go in the plant and it's where they they bottle everything, right? So we would take these big hoses and steamerettes and we just hose everything down at night, right? We would just hose all the glass to one end and clean it up and we would just clean all the machines. And so it was a very uh, physically demanding, very hard job. What is a steamerette? It's a, uh, it's a thing that you put soap in this big barrel and then a couple hoses go into it and it pulls that water out of the soapy water and it turns it into like, heats it and turns it into steam and then you hold it it's like a gun that you spray things with steam that's like a soapy steam so it, it cleans everything really good yeah I could so we could use one of those right now couldn't we <laughs> so from there though I went on to I decided I wanted to go on to uh, maintenance so I had to take a test uh, to see if I had the aptitude and I did I actually scored higher than all the guys that were taking the test at the time, which was really cool, <laughs> I thought. Um, so I was one of, uh, I think, three maintenance women at the, you know, at the brewery. Um, and so it was, it was interesting doing that work. I really liked it. I ended up, um, I don't know, I think I had a knack for just fixing things. So, so that would be your job, fixing things in yeah, the, in I the did. plant? fix the machines when they broke down. Mm-hmm. Something happened and I'd go fix it. Or I'd do maintenance, mm-hmm. like grease and oil and just mm-hmm. whatever the, whatever need, you know, a motor would break, we'd have to swap out the motor, you know, things like that. Now, how the heck did you learn how to do that? Um, I just did it on the job. I just learned how to do it on the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, I just learned. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a while. Um, and then I started getting bored so I decided I wanted to go back to school. I thought maybe that would help because I felt like I might have been losing my mind a little bit. Um, so I decided to go back to school, and I took one class, and I liked it. I was like, oh, I like this. Maybe I'll go back more. And I, so I had to think, of, well, what would I go to school for if I was going to go for a degree? So mostly I was trying to exercise my brain, so I decided I would take engineering classes, uh, which was a lot of math and science and physics and stuff like that. So I thought, well, that will, that will exercise my brain. So I started doing that. And then I got a, a scholarship from Intel Corporation that paid for my uh, associate's degree in electronics, electronic engineering. And so uh, I did that. And then um, when I finished with that was a real transition at the brewery because we had been owned by this one company and then we got bought out by another company. And so when that new company bought us out, they brought in a plant manager who came in to want to change the culture of the workplace to a high-performance kind of work system. And so um, 
for for years, the only conversation I had with the bottle shop manager was, hi, how's it going? <laughs> that was it. And then once we implemented this new system, we were we developed teams that would propose things that would make our working systems or however we did our job easier, better, so that we could propose changes. And so I, I was like, oh, my gosh, every work needs to be like this, right? I mean, you could – it's like – you talk about high performance. I mean, I was like, I was so excited about it. So I got really involved in those kind of activities. So I got invited to lots of different kinds of meetings. Like I got to go with a group of 12 that went to Harley Davidson to study their system. Um, I was invited to a meeting at the brewery with roadway executives that came in because they were brought there by David Cooperwriter, who was a consultant. He's a, a professor at Case Western who developed appreciative inquiry. And I don't know if you know of appreciative inquiry. Well, I don't know that our listeners do. Oh. So maybe you want to uh, talk about, about appreciative. It. Well, I'll talk about appreciating. Yeah. Okay. So appreciative inquiry is a, a, a change process. It's an organizational or a system change process, but it's one that is based on um, focusing on your strengths rather than on your weaknesses. So typical action, it's a form of action research where you study, right? That where you go out and you do an inquiry or a study on something. And the idea is that if, if you, f whatever you focus on is what you move towards. So if you're focusing on problems, then you're going to move more towards those problems. So this was a theory that if you focus on what is working well and what are the strengths and how do we build those strengths, that you would be able to, to transform a system based on strengths rather than based on weaknesses. So um, I didn't know anything about appreciative inquiry during this time where I, where I met David Cooperwriter, but my first thought when I met him was, that's what I want to do. I mean, I want to do that kind of work. I want to be like that. So, but I was working in a brewery. <laughs> so anyway, um, it, I think three years after we were bought by this company, uh, we got sold out again to like South African breweries, and then they only had us for like a year, and shut shut us down. Hmm. So, um, so I had to do something else, right? So I didn't know what to do, and I had a friend who'd been going to this school um, called Leos Leadership Institute of Seattle, which was up in. Um, at Bastyr University, which is in Kenwood, I think, up by Seattle, up in by Washington. Bellevue. Yes, in Washington State. Um, and so she'd been telling me, she'd been coming down to visit and telling me all about the school, and I would be talking about what was going on at work. And she's like, you ought to go to Leo's. And I go, why would I want to do that? Because she was going to be a counselor, and I didn't want to be a counselor. But they had two tracks. One was, uh, was, um, was like organizational development. So it's sort of like, counseling for organizations not individuals in a in a sense so it's whole systems uh theory and so i was like oh my goodness so i started looking into that part of the program and i got really excited and um so we had been laid off at the brewery and they we it was we were determined that we got laid off because of nafta nafta Right, so they had all these like retraining programs for people that were in those circumstances. So they are they were offering two years of school. 
So uh, making a long story short, I and two other people ended up getting their master's degree um, with those two years. Uh, usually it's just uh, like a trade school two years kind of thing, but I walked in and talked them into giving me two years that even though I'm starting in a new place, I still have to start over. And so I kind of talked them into my master's program, and then two other guys heard about it, and so they got to too. And then it wasn't until we were all done that they decided that we, really we weren't supposed to do that. So, but we did it. But we got to do it anyway, and which was to me like I'm almost like a miracle. <laughs> you know, it was really awesome. So I got really help. I got help going and get my master's. And so I got my master's in applied behavioral science, and I really focused on um, appreciative inquiry. So we had to do a, a, a project for our master's thesis project. And I'd been trying to get on with the state uh, at the Department of Personnel, and they wanted me, but they wanted me to do this kind of project where I was kind of what they call a, a pair of hands, where they have work that needs to be done, and you just kind of do it for them. And it you know, that kind of internship, but that's not what I needed. I needed one where I could actually practice an organizational change process. Um, so finally, when I realized that it was not going to work here, I said, I I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this with you guys. And, and I ended up at the Northwest Cooperative Development Center. And so it was a small nonprofit, uh, but their executive director was going to, uh, working on her master's um, in public administration. And I went in to talk to her about uh, a possible project with her. And she stopped me like mid-sentence and pulled this book out and plopped it in front of me. And it was uh, The Power of Appreciative Inquiry. And she asked me if I knew about that. And I just started laughing. <laughs> so it became a pretty good fit. And so I worked with her organization um, on our project. Um, and then... After I graduated, she called me up, invited me to lunch, and said, uh, we want you to come to work with us and doing this kind of stuff with co-ops. So that's when I started learning and working uh, about learning and working with co-ops. Um, and so my background was, right, about working with groups. So I was able to bring a lot of my organizational development stuff in to that kind of work. So, so uh, what kind of co-ops were they working with? Um, my actually my first co-op was um, that I started working with. And I learned a lot, and they ended up not even forming. So that shows you how much I learned. But they were a small group of these tech guys that wanted to do a broadband um, wireless um, network, and they were they wanted to do it as a co-op. And so um, we were moving right along, and everything was working out pretty good. But then their, their main tech guy's wife was in the military and she got transferred to Germany. So the whole, the whole, their whole project fell apart because they lost their main guy. So, but that was my first project, but mostly I worked with, um, ag. So small farm projects, chicken farmers, um, all kinds of different farmers. Um, and then I also started getting into, uh, working with the worker co-ops. So for our listeners who may not know what a co-op is, could you give us idea what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. So a co-op is a business, uh, but it's a different kind of business. So it's a business that really focuses on member uh, benefiting members. 
So it's a usury kind of group that uh, benefits the members that belong to it, and it's controlled kind of democratically. So they're democratic organizations that um, do business. But basically, you form a co-op to do something that you can't necessarily do by yourself. But that having a whole bunch of other people together doing it um, allows you to leverage that uh, scale that you that you usually don't have um, when you're just by yourself. So uh, the thing about co-ops is you, you can they they come in all kinds of different sectors because you have the ag co-ops that are really focused on the agricultural section, but now you have this whole movement of worker co-ops, which are basically the people who work in a in an organization own that business so um so all the workers are the owners of the business and that's a worker co-op um and so i've worked with some of those um and what are the kind of oh, like like credit unions most people don't really realize that credit unions are financial co-ops they're member owned member so basically the difference between a bank and and this is the way you can kind of I'm not going to try and poo-poo banks. I'm just trying to give an example of the difference. So a bank is a financial institution that loans money out and provides services, financial services, but they do it for a profit. So they need to generate money beyond paying staff, beyond expenses, so that they can send money off to as, as a profit, right? Whereas a credit union... All, everything they do, all the financial services, everything they do is at cost. Um, so they're not generating any profits. They are doing all these services to provide these services, financial services. And a lot of, the, the, a lot of those kind of co-ops, the credit unions, started in the workforce, which is why if you look around the country, it's like the boys employing credit union, the, uh, you know, there's a big Navy one, there's, so a lot of times they, that, and the first credit union I belonged to was when I joined the, the first plant I was in. And they didn't even have a building, it was all virtual. Like I filled out paperwork and they sent me a check. And then when I uh, went to the brewery, um, they actually had a credit union that the brewery helped to support back in the 50s when the guy came to him with the idea of a credit union, the brewery actually gave him time to organize with the other employees and then eventually gave him an office and then eventually gave them a piece of land with a building on it for the credit union because it was the whole credit union was for just the brewery workers. And so I'm still a member of that credit union that's in Olympia, but uh, the brewery's closed, but now they, I think, I don't know how many branches they have. They have a whole bunch of branches and it's opened up to beyond but it's it's fun going in there with my uh my card you know because i've you know since i was a kid or since i was like nine i don't know how old i was in my 20s i guess joined that co that that um credit union that my number is so short like most people have this big long number and they ask me my number and it's like whoa <laughs> so it's pretty cool um yeah so that's that's how i ended up with co-ops i ended up in hawaii um because we, when I was being trained as a co-op developer, I went to this, um, there's an organization called Cooperation Works, and it's a network of co-op development centers throughout the country. And so they have a training program. So I went to that training program to learn more about being a co-op developer. And when I was there, I met this woman from Oahu named 
Kehau. And uh, she was working on her master's in social work, and she had heard about co-ops. And she said it reminded her of the Hawaii system, like the Hawaiians. And so she was very curious, and so she went to this training to learn more. And she was trying to start a little marketplace uh, in her community. And so uh, I started working with her, and that was my first project in Hawaii. Um, and then we just kept kind of getting more. And we would fly over from Olympia and work with the co-ops here. And so we thought, well, you know, we need to have some boots on the ground in Hawaii. And we looked. I mean, we, we would present it to nonprofits that we knew. It's like, oh, would you guys be interested in doing something like this? And then we were here working with a co-op in Hamakua. And um, we ended up meeting Betsy Cole who uh, we talked to her about the work that we were doing, and she's like, oh, this would be such a great fit for the Kohala Center. So we helped them uh, write their first grant and kind of structure their that first program, um, and then we were their mentors. So we still got to come over a little bit, but as time went by and they developed more expertise, we came less and less. So one day uh, I went into my boss's office and I said, is there any way we can do more work in Hawaii? Because I love it there and I'd really like to have more work. And she said, no. <laughs> and then she goes, why don't you talk to the Kohala Center? And then I was getting ready to come because they had hired me to do a uh, workshop down in Ka'u. Um, and so I was coming over for that. And so when I was here um, and met with... Um, Nicole, um, I said, hey, Nicole, I'm just curious. You guys got any work for me? <laughs> and so she told me the person that was doing the job was getting ready to quit in January, and they were going to have to fill a position and wanted to know if I was interested. So I applied and interviewed and got the job. So I was really happy that I got to actually move here. Um, and I'm really thrilled to work uh, for an organization like the Kohala Center. Well, can, for our audience members who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about the Kohala Center? Um, you know, that is such a hard question. I mean, because I love the, I, I mean, it's huge. Because the Kohala Center does so many different things. And I'm in the Rural Cooperative and Business Development Services, and that's just one of the areas. So I know about a lot of stuff that we're doing, but I'm not deeply involved in it. Um, but really, um, we are, I would say, the our board of directors uh, would say that we're kind of a Hawaiian organization, even though a bunch of us are not Hawaiians. Um, but the, the, the ideas and the principles of, uh, of the ancestors, we try to bring into our work as best that we can in the work that we do. Um, there, we have different kinds of programs. Like I said, I'm in the Rural Cooperative and Business Development Services. So we provide, um, we're in the food system. So we're supporting the food system. But then we also have a group that works up in the cloud forest and they do, uh, they protect the, the water system, right? So they're up there building fences and, and planting uh, and taking care of invasive species and planting new things. And then we have people down at the bay that are, that are you know, doing things with the water. So it's really, Kohala Center has this, like, it, it's hard to explain what we do because it's sort of like a focus on Hawaii of food, water, place, and people. And that we really try to um, 
be grounded in Hawaii, right? It's like everything that we do is like grounded, not as much as we can in the culture. Like for me, not being from here and having to learn what does that mean and how do I apply that to my work has really helped me to develop, I think, as a, as a human being and in, in the work that I do. So Well, and it seems like you're protectors of the Aina and you're here to make the, the island more healthy. Yes, yes. And, and, and really, it's like, you know, part of it has to do with there's this ancestral knowledge that, that has, has been in Hawaii for a long time, but may, maybe has been lost or can be lost. But so how do we capture that and then and marry that with modern day understanding to be able to, like you said, it's like move Hawaii forward in this way that's very tied to the Aina and tied to nature and tied to aloha and love and and prosperity of the people, right? So it's a um, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm just I'm I'm just grateful that me as a human being gets to spend some time as an employee working for an organization that is so aligned with my own personal goals that uh, I'm just feel blessed for that. So when did you come over? Uh, I moved here January 1st, 2016. And when you're not working, even though I know you love your work, how do you spend your time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um, I've been songwriting. So I actually only started songwriting a couple, uh, like the year before I moved to Hawaii. So um, I just was, I was going through a transitional time, right, where I needed something to lift my spirits. Um, and so I, I just, I was doing a lot of soul searching, and um, I just, this thing popped in my head. It's like you need to start writing music. And and I when I'd pick up my ukulele, I would be happy. And so, um, to me, that's just part of I think my work is you know when I was young, I had a dream about you know saving the world, right? You know, bringing peace to the world and being a part of that. And so it's like, what does that mean as a human being growing up and in a world that isn't necessarily conducive to that, but there's something that you always desire, something that you always want to work towards. So for me, music is about that. It's like it, it, it's an inspiration for myself, and it's an inspiration that I can um, pass on to other people. So, you know, I always keep talking about it being my retirement career. But, you know, whether it's a career or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I just know that I'm probably going to keep doing it. When did music enter your life? Well, I started playing guitar when I was like 12, when I moved in with my grandma. So um, I've, I've, most of my life, I've sat in my room myself and played and sing. So, I mean, I love playing and singing. And most of it has always been in my room by myself. And so uh, I've had major, uh, uh, what do you call it when you're afraid? Stage fright? Yeah, stage fright. Mm -hmm. uh, major, not so much talking. I can talk okay. But when it comes to, like, performing, it's, it's been really hard for me to get out in front of people to do it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I've been doing it. I've done some open mics, and they used to have a few things at the Kahilu Theater, like they'd bring it, where the, but not since COVID, um, where you could go and do an a original performance, and it was fun. Um, but they're, they're not doing that now because COVID's still going on. What kind of music are you attracted to? 
man, I don't know. You mean, you know, it's like it's funny because when you when I think about my inspiration, it's like Rodgers and Hammerstein, like <laughs> sa- Sound of Music and the Music Man and things like that. I mean, that's who Broadway. You know, yeah, Broadway, really Broadway music. So it's it's interesting being a ukulele player and a songwriter who really writes music that's not necessarily a style, right? Because a lot of people will learn country or blues, and it's it's a real style that you have to learn. And for me, I'm like, no, I, this is Teresa's style. So are you, uh, do you have any visions of writing musicals? I, I have thought of that. I mean, that has popped into my head before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that will ever come about or not, but maybe. All right. Well, why don't we take a break? Okay. And maybe when we come back, you'll play us a tune. Oh, I'd love to play a song. You're listening to Teresa Young here on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. This is Holly Allgood at Tutu's Talk Story. Aloha, North Kohala. Kohala Cares has moved its weekly food drive to the hub parking lot. Those in need can drive to the parking lot and pick up a bag of groceries. Pickup begins at 4.30 every Wednesday. Please wear a mask. Donations, especially produce, will be accepted Wednesday from 11 to 3. We want to thank all our donors and volunteers for making all this happen. Remember, we're all in this together. Mahalo. Women's Voices on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala with your host Isla Allgood. I'm proud to say that I've been doing this show now for six years and I still find amazing songs and spoken words by female artists from right here in Kohala and around the world. Tune in to 96.1 FM or stream live at www.knkr.org. Aloha, North Kohal and beyond. This is Holly Allgood. You're listening to Tutu's Talk Story. Our special guest here on KNKRLP 96.1 is Teresa Young, and she's a specialist in cooperatives. She works with the Kohala Center, but she's going to play a song that she wrote for us. This is Teresa Young's radio debut. Yeah, thank you. It's funny, I have been known as being the singing co-op developer. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a song I just wrote recently, and um, I thought about Hawaii. So my inspiration was actually Hawaii when I wrote this song. Oops, sorry. You can tell how nervous I am. I'm sorry, I have a little stage fright, so I'm going to try this again and just calm down. Carried by wind, free like a bird, I fly. Spreading my wings, catching a wave to the sky. In this world of no 
made a wish upon a star and now look where we are hanging on the edge to catch the perfect moment take the shot push record the waves are crashing the water's dancing the rain has made a boat it's early in the morning, swimming with the dolphins in the pod. It comes to call. My heart flutters, my GoPro shudders. I thank my lucky stars. I'm living in a dream. I'm living my dream. Carried by wind. A seed will find new ground, making a home, putting roots deep with love. Love of mother, love of father, love of family, it's love that sets us free. Hanging on the edge to catch the perfect moment Take the shot, push record The waves are crashing, the water's dancing The rain has made a bow It's early in the morning, swimming with the dolphins When the pod, it comes to call My heart flutters, my GoPro shudders I thank my lucky stars I'm living in a dream I'm living my dream Took a walk towards the sun Went past the point of no return Now forever changed Now forever love Hanging on the edge to Catch the perfect moment, take the shot, push record. The waves are crashing, the water's dancing, the rain has made a bow. It's early in the morning, swimming with the dolphins when the pod it comes to call. My heart flutters, my GoPro shudders, I thank my lucky stars. I'm living in a dream, I'm living my dream. Very nice, very nice. Thank you. Thank you, really cool. thank you very much. Too. Catchy tune. I like the, the lyrics. The lyrics and the melody, very yeah. nice. All right, you're listening. If you just turned in, you're, that was Teresa Young. She, and that was her radio debut and a song that she wrote right here in Hawaii. Yeah. You're listening to Tutu's St Talk Story on KNKRLP 96.1 FM Kohala. So Teresa was telling us earlier how she got into being a cooperative specialist, and she is now the cooperative specialist at the Kohala Center. Can you tell us about a couple of the projects you've worked on since you're here? Oh, geez. Um, well, I think one of my favorites, of course, is um, at least one of my favorite co-ops is the Ulu Co-op. You know, they started right after I got here. 
um, I got a phone call from um, Donna Shapiro, and she was thinking about starting a co-op. Um, she had already, her and a few other people had already uh, started another worker co-op where they actually applied um, at the Kamehameha Schools uh, business planning competition that they have. Um, and they wrote a business plan, Aloha. and they won, Welcome. and they got a five-year lease on some land. And they started planning Ulu, and they realized right away that that, that wasn't going to give them enough, Ulu. Um, and so, so Donna was wondering, how do you go about starting a bigger co-op? So I said, you know, get your story together, what you want to do, what your kind of vision is, and then have meetings around the island and invite people. And they did, and they started out with like 12 people that were interested, and so they started a, form, a steering committee and then just started like doing the, you know, incorporating and doing their, their documents and meeting and, and then how they, you know, decided to move forward. And so uh, Donna has been a champion for that project. She did not join the initial board. Um, she... They hired her as the manager, so she's been running the thing. Um, I think they're up to like a hundred members now, um, and so they've gotten in, they've gotten food into the school systems when the school was doing that. So they were instrumental in that. Um, it's I know during the pandemic it was really tough because for a lot of farmers, a lot of them lost their markets. So uh, which in some ways was kind of cool because they it had they had to shift to actual consumers that were so a lot of them did that a lot of them made that shift um and even myself now now I have a CSA box whereas before I never had a CSA box so I know I jumped from the Ulu co-op but you know even the Ulu co-op had to do that they had to shift from their institutional buyers to individuals so you can go online and order a box from them um and it's delivered right to your door it's like frozen um, which is really cool if you live in Hawaii on the on the Big Island, um, and so that's one. There's another new one coming up right now that I just love that I've been working with. Um, they're on Molokai, um, Hawaii uh, Energy Co-op. So they're trying to. Um, the Molokai has the highest energy costs in the nation, and so um, they're really they're working on several different ideas. Um, that they're that they're developing, and so uh, they're an amazing group. And so just watching them go through this process and hire uh, consultants and engineers, and and the their um, and having the different people reach out to them that wants to support this kind of community project has been really beautiful too. Um, so those are just two of my like right now favorite. I mean, I like them. Yeah. So, um, what kind of energy are they producing on Molokai? Oh well, right the now they're preparing to uh, try to uh, apply for um, to sort of tie into the grid that is now to where they're going to do uh, solar energy and battery storage for and to help supply part of the system. So, you know, and, and then, so part of it is piecemeal, too, because right, they're just really exploring what it is that they can do and what they want to do. So they've got several different sort of projects that they're all working towards, um, but they haven't actually built anything yet. 
they're still they're still in the development phase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how long does it take to start a co-op? Wow, you know, starting a co-op can take anywhere from three weeks to seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on who you are and what you're trying to do and what kind of obstacles you have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the co-ops that I know that, that took only like, really like they were up and running in just like three weeks is they they transformed from a different kind of organization to a co-op so it was easier for them right and that is a funeral co-op a few well tell us right what What is is a funeral co-op is one of the most fascinating kind of co-ops so these guys are in the northwest and you join the co-op and you pay a certain amount to become a member and then Basically, what this co-op has done is they've gone out to all these funeral homes and gotten contracts for co-op members. So basically, you go there and you get the co-op prize. There's no bickering. There's no, right? So, so and mostly I think they're doing cre- kind of cremation services. So the people who join the co-op, are they the providers of? No. No, no, they're the, people the consumers. Who, consumers, yeah. People who are going to need funeral services are the people who are the members of the co-op. Oh, my goodness. And so it's just like it's – I mean, my nephew worked at a funeral home, and, you know, he had the job of talking to the family, right, and then nicely showing them all the different things that would be offered to them that they could purchase for their loved ones. And, and so I thought that was very interesting, a little bit of a – you know, so it's a racket. I mean, they're in there. They're in there to make money. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's something that everyone's probably going to happen to them eventually. So it's a service that's very much needed. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when you think about co-ops, that's what co-ops are about: is providing the things that we need at cost. Okay. Because that's, you know, that's one of the things that co-ops end up doing. It's like you don't mm-hmm. need to make that profit for somebody because the reason that you do this co-op is service at cost. Mm-hmm. That's what co-ops are. Mm-hmm. So they're businesses, but, they're, they, but they do business at cost because the main thing is to provide that good or service, not so much provide a profit for somebody else. But yet it's supposed to benefit both the providers and the consumers? Uh, well, usually it usually does. I mm-hmm. mean, if... Um, I mean, they're 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 getting business, even though it's been contracted. You know, mm-hmm. so they get the contracts for all this business, so they're mm-hmm. getting paid. Mm-hmm. The funeral parlors, and then the the people who need it, right? Because not everyone's going to be a part of the co-op. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's interesting that they have a co-op, but they don't actually have any brick or mortars. But right. they have all this membership, and they do all this service. Yes, and that's something. I was just hearing a little bit of music in oh, the background. Oh, I was too. What was that? Oh, that's I don't okay. know. Um, I yeah. have to put music on. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and then uh, I was just thinking we have a local co-op here, an artist co-op. Oh, yeah. Uh, down yes. the street. Yes, right down the street. And I was thinking, I guess, doesn't, is it a, is Olympia, don't they have a famous food co-op there? Oh, yeah. I was on yeah. the board, like, when I worked there, I was on the board for oh. a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have two stores. They have a really interesting system because they use collective management. Mm-hmm. So, um, and what do you mean by that? So they, you know, usually a store will hire a manager, and then that manager hires the staff, and that's sort of like a traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the Olympia Food Co-op, they are a collective. So mm-hmm. there's no high, there's no, 
there's no manager. There's uh, they do committees, and they do everything by consensus, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do when you have a big group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've learned. They've learned how to do it. They've learned, you know, what can be proposed and what won't be proposed. Like you're not even going to bring up a proposal if you know you're not going to. Right. If you aren't going to have support for it. So mm-hmm. it cuts out a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it, it's also very challenging and difficult, but amazing at the same time. So what would you say were the lessons learned for you by working with all these co-ops? Like, what do you know works and what do you know is oh, going to yeah. give no, you that's, trouble? Well, because that's the thing about co-ops is every single co-ops are autonomous. Right. So every co-op is going to build its own culture, its own rules. It's even though there's kind of similarities, they're all different. So, um, so yeah, it's like some things will work in one place, but they won't work in another place. So uh, I just have gathered all kinds of like all kinds of information just within me based on the experience of all the different groups that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. And with co-ops, it's hard. There's no real cookie cutter because it's just like everyone's so individual. And it really depends what the purpose of the co-op is, I'm sure. Exactly. Because there are some cookie cutters. Like for when I was on the mainland before I left, I worked in the Rock USA program, and that's resident-owned communities. And basically that's when, um, you know, on the mainland, they don't have them in Hawaii, but on the mainland they have, like they, they are trailer parks. They used to call them trailer parks, but now they're manufactured home communities. So basically, that was an investment model where someone, an individual, could buy some land, put in some infrastructure, and then lease out the spots to people who had the mobile homes that could come in or out. So as time has gone by, it's you know changed a little bit because the mobile homes aren't really mobile. They're manufactured, and they pretty much stay there. But the parks or the communities still exist. So Rock started in New Hampshire, and they um, they started with a community loan fund, and they started, if a community came up for went for sale, they would approach and say, would you be willing to sell it to the residents? And then they would step in. And so they've built this whole now national network of developers that are part of that network. The Northwest Co-op Development Center is part of that rock network now. And that's where I work with them. So I worked with these communities that would purchase their community, and then they would have to organize as people who've never organized before as a, as a right. I mean, usually usually these are uneducated, not always, but, you know, you get a lot of uneducated, you know, challenging people in these kind of communities, but to sit there and watch them come together and, like, people who are too shy to even speak in public, like, get elected on the board, and now they're, like, running meetings. <laughs> and so it's, I know it seems little, little transformations of lives, but, I mean, a huge transformation, what I think is huge. Yeah, no, I don't think that's to, little. To, to be able to, uh, now, the, so now these guys, as a community, have to plan their budget. They have to look at their roads. They have to look at their electricity. They have to look at their water. They have to plan ahead. They have to save the money. They have to make decisions together. They're, they're doing this stuff that they never had even an opportunity to do this kind of stuff before. So the I'm very interested in this, you know, real estate, and I'm hearing, especially no. in our area right now, uh, there's huge pleas for low-income housing. Yeah. And there just isn't because real estate has become so hot in yeah. Hawaii because people see us as a, uh, you know, as a special place. 
And well, it is a special place. Of course, it is a special <laughs> place. But I'm wondering. So this is where there was an existing community. Are you seeing yeah. anyone do this where there isn't an existing committee? Just I, a piece of land where people want to come together and build something like that. Yeah. No, I've asked. I mean, I asked. Do you guys ever do greenfield projects? And they're like, no. It's their whole model was based on the conversion. Yeah, the conversion. So. Mm-hmm. And they seem to have reasons why, but, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it doesn't pencil out when you start thinking about it or mm-hmm. why that is. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see something like that in mm-hmm. Hawaii, mm-hmm. You, you know, but it's that, that, you know, that's a big one you got to get across uh, policymakers. Mm-hmm. Right. And right now, I don't know of a trailer park here. No, there isn't any. Yeah. There isn't so, any. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have them. I don't, I don't think you can have them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's interesting. So really the co-op, you're telling us everything from funeral homes to ULU to converting uh, mobile home part places. And and we have our own artist co-op here. Well, yeah, let me put one more bug out there since people are listening. Is, okay, let's talk about a business that employs 20, 25 people, right? And yet that that business hasn't been profitable for years. But the owners still own it because they've been employing 25 people and they don't want to just, it's like they shut down their business, then all these people are going to be out of, and but they're, but they're not profitable, right? They don't make that extra money that is profit. So that would be, that kind of organization would be a perfect one for a transition to, uh, to worker ownership. So all those employees that have been working at that business for all these years know the business already. They've been working there, right? So being able to make that kind of transition from uh, a owner to uh, selling or transitioning somehow to the employees so that that legacy can continue um, and but be owned by the employees. So that's a, another kind of modern-day trend because that's one of the challenges that – People who have built a business their whole life and now they're ready, they're wanting to move on, they can't easily just sell that business. And this gives them an op- option for that business to continue and for them to probably get something like some, you know, sell it to the employees to make some sort of profit and then, um, and then have their legacy continue. So for someone listening out there who maybe has that situation, what do you think is the first step other than calling you? Is there, what what would be the first step for a company who's thinking about making that transition? Yeah, well, you know, if you're a company and you want to make that transition, I would definitely start just reading, like looking for information about that to see if it, and learning yourself to see if it'd be something that you'd be more comfortable with and that you are going to need to hire some sort of experts. And they there are various organizations propping up all over the country like, I, I mostly learn what I know about that part from Kent, Kent State University. So you have a, a group there that's been doing it for a while. So, um, and then, so, so there's other organizations that are around there really starting to focus on that. And I could hook you up to one of those kind of organizations if that's what you're interested in, in right. that worker transition. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. We are listening to Teresa Young from the Kohala Center, who is a co-op specialist, and she is also a budding songwriter and singer. I'm wondering if you if you have another song in you for us. 
I could do another song. Could you do another song? Yeah. All right. Is that all right? We got time? Yeah. Yes, we have time. Yep. All right, here's <laughs> Teresa Young. Okay, this is, this is actually one of the first songs I wrote because um, I, uh, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I'm going to. I wrote a song, and I took it at my ukulele into where I was working, and I sang it to one of my coworkers, and she goes, oh, my goodness, Teresa, you're a healer. You heal through your music. And she goes, I want you to write a song for my granddaughter who is getting to that age where, you know, because when you're young, you're, it's like imagination and playfulness, and then you start having to buckle down, you know, start learning about this and that. And so she wanted a song that would remind her granddaughter that, uh, magic still existed as she grew up. And I thought, oh, that's not a very tall order. But anyway, this is the song that I came up with. It's called Avery's Song. I remember well I swear I heard the angels sing to celebrate Send you on your way Ruby cheeks, a button nose Just about the cutest thing in the world And I see you're here to play Close your eyes and fly Avery up into the evening sky And we'll meet where Jupiter aligns with Mars And we'll catch a fallen star As we ride it near and far Till we sat on the edge of a crescent moon to sleep Raspberries on your toes and tummies Giggles bobbling up, filling up the room with laughter and I hear please oh please do it again oh please oh please do it again close your eyes and fly Avery up into the evening sky and we'll meet where Jupiter aligns with Mars And we'll catch a fallen star As we ride it near and far Till we sat on the edge of a crescent moon to sleep As you grow up and you move through life be exactly who you are. Sing your songs, laugh and carry on. Bring your magic to be. Close your eyes and fly, Avery, up into the evening sky. Aligns with Mars 
and we'll catch a fallen star as we ride it near and far till we on the edge of a crescent moon to sleep and as you open your eyes don't be surprised at all the wonder that you'll see very nice thank you that was Teresa Young. Again, you're listening to Tutu's Talk Story. Teresa's here. She's a co-op specialist from the Kohala Center, a budding songwriter. She started her career in a factory as a maintenance worker and managed to get a master's degree in organization development and uh, works consulting with businesses of many kinds. Yep. So that's quite a story, Teresa. So Thanks. I always ask people... What do you attribute your successful life to? What advice do you have to people out there? Wow, that's huge. Well, for me, I always feel like, uh, I don't know if I could advise anybody else, but for me, I feel like I'm always trying to follow the light or the love or the, uh, how, do we, how do we make something better? How do we join together more? How do we... How do we make life better, right? How do we, you know, how do we be the change we want to see, as they say? So to me, I feel like I'm just whatever it is in my life that I'm going to gravitate towards what is that thing that's going to help enhance and uh, add to, right? Add to what we have, add to, you know, add to making things better, because we live in one of the most beautiful planets on the, on the earth, and there's no reason why we should have pollution. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to grow healthy, beautiful food. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to practice our creativity. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to live free and happy and healthy and connected to each other. So I, I don't know if that's advice, but you know, to me, that's what I try to gravitate towards follow the light yeah follow the light i got it all right <laughs> well it was a great pleasure having you here today i also want to let everybody know out there before we say goodbye to teresa that uh the javi farmers market which always takes place on saturday because christmas is on saturday it will take place on friday so hope to see you all at the javi Far farmers market this Friday and wishing everybody a Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Teresa, so glad to have you. Hope Thank you'll come you so back. Much. Yeah, it's been nice. Fun. All right, this is Holly Allgood saying aloha.